Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. Conversations on key issues and new developments in financial services in Ireland. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. My name is Claire Scannell and I am the professional support lawyer to Matheson's Financial Institutions Group. I'm joined today by my colleague, partner, Ian O'Mara, also the Financial Institutions Group. Hi, Ian. Hi, Claire. Delighted to be here. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the EBA guidelines on the use of remote consumer onboarding solutions in connection with the fourth money laundering directive, which apply from the 2nd of October this year. Ian, remote onboarding options in respect to finance institutions increased significantly in the COVID-19 era. And I suppose as digitalization of financial services becomes more widespread, we know the use of remote customer onboard solutions is increasing all the time. So I expect the reach of these guidelines is probably greater than it would have been a few years ago. What firms are actually in school? Yeah, so all firms that are subject to European Union anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing legislation are in scope here. That, in, in practical terms, that covers banks, insurers, MIFID investment firms, payment institutions, e-money institutions, and also investment funds and fund managers. It's also going to be the case that when the new markets and crypto assets regulation kicks in at the end of next year, that crypto asset service providers will also be in scope. So essentially, it's the full range of financial institutions Okay, so very broad and, and everyone should really be taking note. We might just take a step back for a moment, Ian, at their core. What are the guidelines designed to do? Yeah, so the guidelines have four clear aims. First one being to set out the steps that financial institutions should take when choosing the remote onboarding tools that they use to sign up their customers. To clarify what regulated financial institutions should do to satisfy themselves that the chosen tool is actually adequate and reliable. And also they set out what needs to be done to ensure that the chosen tool remains adequate and reliable. So quality assurance, testing and ongoing oversight processes. And then finally, you know, firms are expected to understand how does this tool enable them to comply effectively with their AML obligations, such as customer due diligence. So it's very welcome guidance in terms of setting out how financial institutions modernize and digitalize their onboarding solutions. And it's a really useful piece of guidance because it's an area that just there hasn't been any any official commentary on ever before. Okay. So, you know, as, as sure as night follows day, in order to ensure you're compliant with the guidelines, firms are going to have to make changes to their AML policies and procedures. Will firms in need to make new edits and revisions or will they need to create standalone policies for remote onboarding processes and, and what will they need to address? Yes, so they will have to certainly carry out updates to their existing compliance frameworks, in particular their AML policy frameworks. You can see there's going to be a need to document the process for, say, doing onboarding assessments, you know, in terms of if we're going to bring in new tools and use these tools to support our customer journey, we have to do a due diligence exercise on them. We're also going to have to document you know, precisely what role each of these tools plays in, in the AML process. And very often when I would see a lot of these policies in practice, you know, they're often quite overarching policy documents in the sense they say, you know, the board will do this, the, you know, executives will do this, compliance and risk will do this. And it also just talks a lot about referencing back to the, the Criminal Justice Act and the various statutory obligations that apply to these firms. 
where they often don't get into is the nitty gritty of the technical detail in terms of what tools do we use, what roles are performed by humans, what, what roles are performed by automated IT solutions, etc. So all that kind of granularity, I think, is going to have to be built into policies and procedures. It's also going to have to become necessary to, you know, build out the, the documentation around oversight of these IT tools. Okay, so quite a, an uplift here for firms yeah. to, to be aware of. I know I mentioned at the outset that the guidelines take effect from the 2nd of October this year, but do finance institutions need to apply the guidelines to all existing remote customer onboarding processes or only on a go-forward basis to, say, newly launched processes? Yeah, it's helpful to know that it only applies on a go-forward basis to processes. So it's not that all of a sudden on the 2nd of October you need to, you know, do a big exercise on your existing processes. So that's certainly helpful. But having said that, you know, every firm is likely to periodically at least, you know, review existing processes. Undoubtedly, a new, a new solution might come on the market, which might become more attractive. And so, you know, as time goes by, you can see these guidelines becoming more relevant and, and certainly will have to be factored into any, any new onboarding tools that are being used by the firm. So, you know, it's not a big bang, but it's certainly going to become more of a relevant concern as time goes by. From what I'm hearing from you, these guidelines, while they are based in AML, they will always have a knock-on impact on firms' existing policies and procedures across a number of areas. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just taking a first cut at this, I think, you know, information security, AML, data protection, operational resilience, all of those areas at a minimum are going to be impacted by this guidance in the sense that, you know, these processes are increasingly critical to how financial institutions do onboarding and AML onboarding. And, you know, if you don't have those right, then you're, you're going to face serious risks. And in turn, then, you know, not only would your frameworks need updating, but, you know, your risk registers might need updating in the sense that, you know, if you place increasing reliance on information technology solutions to meet your regulatory obligations, that creates new risks that need to be managed and overseen. So you can see actually, although these guidelines are prompted by AML concerns to begin with, in practice to, to really get on top of them, you need to take a more rounded view and probably involve a lot of stakeholders within your business in terms of assessing the impact and making the changes required to your compliance and risk management frameworks. Okay, so not an insignificant amount of work to be done here. Keeping with that, I mean, what, what would you say to firms who haven't fully appreciated the reach of the guidelines in terms of impacting those wider policies and procedures and, and you know, those who are concerned about the imminent deadline for compliance with them? Yeah, I would say not to worry too much. But I think, you know, the key thing is to make a plan to embed these into your into your frameworks. So it's not that it all has to be done by the 2nd of October or should have been done by the 2nd of October. It's more a case of, you know, as we go forward now, are you going to take into account these guidelines when you next to your update of those frameworks? Okay. And I suppose, you know, the only one that's going to be checking whether you've done that is going to be your supervisor and, and the central bank. You know, have they confirmed their position regarding the guidelines, Ian, or indeed have they made any communication on the subject at all? Yeah, they, so they have confirmed to the European Banking Authority that they will apply the guidelines in full and without any variation from the 2nd of October 2023 onwards. 
So that's helpful in the sense that, you know, we know the, you know, the guidelines are what they are and that's the expectation for firms in Ireland that they just need to observe them and there's no variation or gold plating on top of them. I think firms can also expect that when they enter into engagements with the central bank in future, it's quite possible that they'll get asked, you know, what have you done to comply with these? And, you know, what's your plan of action there? So it's not going to be a big bang overnight, but I think it's just something firms need to be prepared for, prepared to be able to answer the questions that are likely to be asked. Thanks, Ian, and, and, and thanks so much for your insights on, on this subject today. I expect listeners will have found it really very useful. I'd just like to remind people of the Financial Institutions Group Top 5 at 5 email. It's a complimentary weekly subscription service where our subject matter experts highlight five of the previous week's key financial services developments. So if you're not subscribed and you would like to be, please reach out to myself or Ian and we will have you added to that list. And indeed, if you have any questions on today's episode, please reach out. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. For more information on issues raised in this podcast or for any general queries, you can contact claire.scannell at matheson.com or ian.omara at matheson.com.